Welcome to the Sem Scoop. I'm your host, Matt Buffano, and I'm excited to bring you episode 22 of this podcast where guests and I discuss what is happening at Wyoming Seminary, and today's guest very soon will be able to tell you better than anyone what is happening at Wyoming Seminary, and that's because he is the next head of school, Martin J. Mooney, Marty for short, joined us for an interview that will essentially tell you what he's all about. Settle in for the next half hour, and you'll find yourself much more informed on Mr. Mooney's educational background, his professional experience, what literally gets him up in the morning and excited to start a new day in the education field. We cover all of that and so much more. This was a great conversation, and I'm glad that Mr. Mooney joined us to have it, and I hope that you enjoy it. Now let's start the show. All right, Marty Mooney, the next head of school at Wyoming Seminary. Thank you for joining us here on the Sem Scoop. How are you doing? It's uh, about the middle to late January portion here in the Northeast. So how does today find you? Today is great. Uh, it is mid-January in the state of Maine. We'd like to have more snow because we we like to get out skiing and, and cross-country skiing and uh, ice fishing and all that stuff. So it's been a little, a little warmer than we usually like it, but, um, we're, uh, we're getting through the winter and we, we noticed, uh, yesterday that still a little bit of sunlight now coming up at like five o'clock in the afternoon. So we're, we're starting to see inklings of the spring, but it's still pretty far away. Like winter in Maine is <laughs> through early April, really. Sunsets until after, uh, 5 PM from now until, November. So that's something that makes everybody happy. That's great. Um, People tuning into this podcast today, I think that they really just want to get to know you, get to know who is Marty Mooney beyond uh, the announcement that went through email. And, you know, some people were able to meet you in person uh, Mm -hmm. when you were a candidate for this job. And also as you're coming around and introducing yourself to the community as the incoming head uh, so getting to know Marty Mooney, I want to really just start with your educational background. You went to Dartmouth, which is an Ivy League institution. I believe you played right. a couple sports there. Tell us a little bit about your experience as a student. Uh, it was such a long time ago, Matt. I have trouble I have trouble remembering it. Um, I went to Dartmouth College out of uh, a big public high school on Long Island, Long Beach High School. I didn't know when I went up there and I got recruited there to play football, but I didn't know that it was an Ivy League school. Like there were, you know, where I grew up, my house and my parents didn't go to college. Um, and the, the college whole thing was new to them, was new to me. So we learned a lot along the way. Um, but I am a, uh, proud graduate of, uh, of, of the college. It was an amazing place to be an undergraduate. I uh, was an English major there and it is, uh, it's a, you know, it's a place I'll always hold dear. Uh, I played football up there and I also played lacrosse uh, for one, for, for one season, actually my senior year, usually people do it the other way, but uh, I had an opportunity to be the, the backup goalie on the lacrosse team um, for, uh, for a fun season. Um, and uh, the coach kind of recruited me from, from somewhere. He's like, Hey, I heard you, I heard you played goalie in high school. I, I need somebody to back up because they had an all Ivy kid. Um, I need somebody to back up 
Rob. I said, well, give it a shot, you know, a little rusty, but it was great fun to finish up that way. But, you know, had amazing professors and still have amazing friends from that time. And it put me in love with, uh, you know, with New England. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever been to New England. Obviously went to grad school in Middlebury in, you know, the late nineties and early two thousands. And so, and then coming up here to Maine was, I think the, you know, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, uh, was the, the last piece in that puzzle. To help you kind of reflect on your college football playing days. I'm a huge college football fan. I think you'll find a lot of the people around here, uh, whether it's Penn State, Notre Dame, uh, those are two of the main schools here. Pitt, uh, Wyoming Seminary has a, an amazing backstory with Pitt, the amount of guys that we put through there in the 1920s and 1930s. Just curious, what would you say was your um, highlight from your college football experience? Did you get to play in any you know, FBS uh, stadiums? No, or no, any, no. No, not I at mean, that time? No. Uh, so, uh, and Ivy League football is still like this. It's, um, you know, you play 10 games. Uh, there's no playoff. There's no uh, there's no postseason in I League football. And at that time, uh, there were, no freshmen were allowed to be on varsity. They had a strict freshman football program. So it was a little different back then. I was uh, what you would call a uh, you know a stalwart of the of the second and third string. I used to run, you know, I used to be on the the scout team running the other team's offense for the defense and and stuff like that. So my uh, my football career was. Not as an all ideal, you know, big time kid, but I love it just the same. And I had a great experience just being that guy on the team. At one time, I, I was either second or second or third string at every position on the offensive line. So, uh, so the ultimate utility player. That's awesome. There's a lot of value in that, as any coach could tell you. Um, so you get out of Dartmouth and you have your English degree, you know, that you're not playing in the NFL. You mentioned that you went to grad school after that. What, what was your frame of mind at that point? Did you see yourself getting into the world of education? After after I graduated uh, Dartmouth, I did I did a bunch of different things. Uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Did it, you know? I worked in construction. I worked in restaurants. Uh, I lived in New York City, uh, doing all those things. Um, you know, I knew I liked to write. I knew I liked uh, to be in, and I liked to read. Um, and I, I worked in a public at a publishing company for a couple of years before I went into education and um, lived in Hoboken, New Jersey, was an editor for a, a young adult publishing house uh, called Chelsea House. Uh, I don't think they're in business anymore, but I think if you look in the uh, library at the lower school, uh, you might see some Chelsea House uh, uh, work. You know, they, they used to do a lot of, you know, biographies and history for sixth grade and under. And that was great. I learned a lot uh, in that in that position. Lived an interesting life, and uh, in that world, uh, commuted from from New Jersey uh, to the city every day. But um, at a certain point, I knew that you know I wanted to do something different, and so I I shifted gears uh, after a few years of that and started my first uh, school job at the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, which is probably pretty well known to the, to the STEM community. Um, I know that when I was there uh, as a football coach, we used to play STEM, and certainly that was the case when I was coaching at Petty. So I worked at the Hill School for uh, five years. So I shifted gears probably in 1992 after the publishing company. It was an experience that you liked enough to stay in it. So <laughs> what was it that 
you know, got you up in the morning during those days at Hill yeah. School and Petty School and that probably still to this day, uh, you know, makes yeah. you excited for the world of education? Well, it's an interesting phrase, what got me up in the morning, because the Hill School at that time was, uh, and, and it still is traditional in lots of ways, it was all boys, jacket and tie, and it was uh, sit down breakfasts every morning, you know, Monday through Friday. So what got me up in the morning was uh, a bell in the dorm going off at 6.50. I was up before that most days, but, um, and then you were, you were at the table with uh, your, your table uh, of, of young men at seven Oh five or something, you know, it was, uh, so it was pretty, that's pretty old school. And I couldn't imagine better training. It was a world I had never really been part of before. I didn't know anything about independent uh, education, secondary education. Uh, I didn't know anything about boarding school, but I fell in love with it. Hook, line and sinker. It's given me a great life. I didn't know how great at that point. I just knew, I just knew I liked the work. I liked the relationships. I liked helping out the students I was, I was working with and just developing as a professional. Now, you know, we're kind of skipping a couple steps along the way because I want to get to, you know, what you intend to do here at Wyoming Seminary, but your current place of work, Bridgeton Academy, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there. Uh, how long you've been there? Just an overview of your job mm-hmm. at Bridgeton. I came uh, to Bridgeton, Bridgeton Academy as head of school in 2017. Uh, so this is my sixth year here. Bridgeton Academy has a unique mission. Uh, and unique is means one of a kind. And, and that's true in this case. We are the only uh, school that's dedicated to postgraduate students. I know there are postgrads at SEM. Our school is uh, is almost 100% postgrads. We have some one-year seniors. It's a place where where the mission is is something that we we think about and we work on every single day because it's so narrow uh, and specialized. Having said that, there's so many similarities between these kinds of schools that you know I thought this place was going to be completely and utterly different um, than my previous experience at the Petty School. Um, but there's lots of similarities in terms of the challenges and and in terms of the successes. So I've been, uh, and Danny and I have been very happy up here, made great friends and colleagues uh, at this school, some of the most dedicated teachers and, and coaches and dorm folks uh, I've ever worked with. And, you know, we were up here for COVID and uh, I suspect it's true at SEM and I know it's true at other schools, uh, but that was a real uh, time of intensity and change and having to invent things on the fly. Uh, and the people here were amazing to work with and uh, incredibly flexible. Uh, and we did what we had to do. So lots of other things have defined my time here, but I would say, you know, COVID is is probably the thing that, you know, we'll always, always remember. When the history Unfor- books. Yeah. Unfortunately, but also fortunately, you know, I think, I think these crises also offer lots of opportunities to shine. And I think this place did that. Yeah. When the history books are written a hundred years from now, you know, that this will be the, you know, kind of the, the pandemic era to some extent. Uh, you mentioned that it was the people that kind of helped Bridgeton Academy get through that period. It was similar situation here at Wyoming Seminary where we had a leadership team and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was a lot of decisions being made on the fly, but, you know, being made and giving the school some direction during really difficult times. What was a moment or a policy 
or anything that you're particularly proud of from the way that Bridgeton Academy handled the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good question. We made the decision, I would say, late spring of 2020 when, you know, early summer when uh, there was still lots, I mean, there was lots of uncertainty and we didn't, you know, we didn't know the things that we know now. We, what we made the decision to go full speed ahead um, and to open for the, for the following year. And we, you know, we were determined to open in person and to do all the things that we needed to do to provide the academy experience for all of our students and, uh, and to keep them safe. Uh, my wife, uh, Danny was our, is a public health uh, professional and, and she was our COVID czar. She and uh, Kate Tucker, who's our director of health up here and the student life folks, everybody got together and created protocols and cohorts of, of students that were going to live together and be on the same team together and be in the same classes together and to, to avoid, you know, as much as we could cross contamination. We made the decision that students weren't going to go home uh, on, on, on weekends um, and they were going to be here uh, because, you know, we wanted to stop any, any kind of way for anyone to get um, infected. And it was successful uh, that year. I think we had two or three positive cases that year, but we kept everybody safe and the people came here together and, and made it work. It was something I'll never forget. Like Bridgeton Academy, Wyoming Seminary was also a real leader when it came to in-person instruction. Certainly in Northeast PA, nobody was really getting through it like uh, our school. So, you know, there's definitely some similarities there. Uh, One of the areas where the two schools are not similar, and you mentioned this before, is the fact that it is uh, just postgraduate students who attend Bridgeton Academy. So, you know, at Hill School and Petty School, when you were at those jobs. I'm sure you were getting to know these students over a number of years. You kind of got to see their progression over the years. It's not really like that at, at Bridgeton Academy. You, like, Are there exceptions to that or is it just one year for these kids to make the most of it? No, that's for the most part it is. There, there are some students who will do uh, like a senior year and then come back again and be a postgrad here. We there, There's some that do that, not many, but it is, uh, you know, a friend I used to work with, uh, Frank DeLorenis, who was the football coach at at Petty and Hill, actually, he used to say about PGs, you know, it's a, it's a crass course in your mission. I'm, I'm positive that Sem does these things too with uh, with those students. You want to get them up and running as soon as possible. Uh, your orientation needs to be on point. You you know you you don't you don't have an upper class to sort of show them the way. So the staff and the faculty become essentially the upper the upper class uh, folks for 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 these students. So. It's very different than what I had been used to, um, but it's a group of students I've worked with before. Like I was sort of the um, post-grad uh, whisperer at uh, at Petty. Uh, I used to teach a class for about 10 years. I taught a class, uh, an English class, just for those students. They were almost always my advisees. Uh, and so I have, uh, you know, I have an affinity for those students, lots of other students as well, but certainly I'd worked with that group uh, before. Right. And and Bridgeton Academy has some uh, facilities, some programs that are unique to it as well. I want to point out that to listeners, the crystal clear audio that you're hearing from Marty. <laughs> I, I mean, he is basically in a professional podcast studio that was, yeah. I guess, built in your time at Bridgeton Academy. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this setup. Heads of school uh, 
uh, heads of school get credit for a lot of things uh, that they didn't do, and uh, they get a lot of blame for a lot of things that they didn't do. Uh, <laughs> it just comes with the territory. This uh, this studio is the uh, is the work of my colleague up here, Dave LePage, and um, Dave is our assistant head uh, for for a long time. He was our tech uh, person uh, as part of a of a grant program that's uh, that's funded uh, through the academy. Uh, he had a three year grant to create. You know, and he put a proposal together and it was a selection process. And, you know, part of his uh, part of his uh, that that fellowship uh, for three years was the creation of the studio right next to me, which you can't see on that side. Essentially, he he was going to get a green screen, but he was like, they're too expensive. So he just painted the wall that color green. And hmm. so, uh, yep. So uh, students, you know, take classes with him in video production and you know, he also does classes in digital, digital media, graphical, as well as audio. And he took that and ran. And he and I, as I told you before, he and I spend time in here sometimes talking about music. So, you know, I, I enjoy the space. That's awesome. Uh, and so now getting into your Wyoming seminary uh, time that, that yeah. will be beginning shortly. When the job opened, broadly, you know, broad question here. What was it that attracted you to Wyoming Seminary? Why did you apply for the job? I had worked with a couple of search consultants that were involved in the process, both of whom I had worked with before. Um, John Watson uh, was uh, at Petty for some time, uh, and Jerry Larson uh, was one of the other search consultants. And he, uh, I've known him for a long time, and he he ran the search up here uh, that hired me, and so. John Watson reached out to me. Uh, I didn't know the job was open. Uh, and he reached out to me and asked me if, you know, if I knew anybody who was interested or if I might be interested. So I set up a call with John because I knew Wyoming Seminary. I knew of it. Uh, I did not know everything about it by, by a lot. Um, I coached on that field a lot of years, uh, except for a few, I think, that uh, the program uh, went away, but I'm glad it's back. And so I had a sense of Kingston, had a sense of the school, but you don't, you don't know it before, uh, before you get into it. And then I just did, I did my deep dive or as much as you can do from the outside. Right. I have, uh, there are friends of mine who are graduates, uh, uh, Ray Cabot, uh, at the, uh, at the Petty school being uh, chief among them. He essentially grew up here at SEM and was a great resource for me. Um, but then there are people who come out and he's like, I never knew you had that association with Wyoming seminary and people, uh, back in, in my career, uh, that reached out. So the, the more I looked at the school, uh, the more I liked, uh, the more conversations I had with folks, the more I liked it. The most striking thing to me about SEM, and I could sense it from materials. You can, you can maybe read between the lines and hope it's there. Um, but when I got on campus, uh, especially um, the finalist interview, because I got to meet a lot more people, people are passionate about that school in ways that I have not seen. Uh, and that's not to say anything against my former schools, because people love those schools. But there is a, uh, a there's a there's a fundamental uh, deep set connection uh, to Wyoming Seminary that uh, was powerful and and won me over. You can do anything with people that care that much. And uh, and that, to me, was probably the greatest opportunity. That gets me fired up, you know, hearing, uh, <laughs> hearing that we're special. We are special, right? Well, yeah. uh, listen, it's hard to um, 
you know, in, in the Bible, you know, no, no man is a prophet in his own country. Part of that is, you know, when you're part of a place, you, you sometimes tend to see more of the, uh, you know, more of the glass, maybe half empty than, than, than half full. And I get that because I, I tend to do that sometimes myself. But when someone new to the community comes in and points out to you, this is awesome. Like, this is great. Like, I've never seen this before. I think people are lifted up by that. I think, I think they begin to see the school in wonderful ways that, you know, after a couple of years of COVID and everything like that, I was happy to go in and, and, and talk about all the things I loved about the school. Um, and uh, I'll continue that because it's an amazing place uh, and it serves a, a wonderful population uh, in the Valley and, uh, and beyond. It's special. And you don't have to be an educational specialist to know that you walk on the campus and you know. Absolutely. And in these couple months between when you start uh, and, you know, having been appointed, you're in this interesting position where you're still uh, head of school at Bridgeton Academy. You're not yet yeah. head of school at SEM. Take me through what your days are kind of like right now. Every day is a little bit different, I'm sure, but it's got to yeah. be kind of an interesting juggling yep. act, right? Yep. Yep. It's been uh, it's been interesting. There's a dynamic that happens when you are uh, the departing head and, you know, leaving on great terms. Uh, I, I leave I leave this school with nothing but love in my heart for for the people here, for the for the young men, for the trustees and the and certainly my colleagues here. Um, that isn't always the case when 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 heads of school uh, leave a place. It's, you know, um, so, a lot of times it is, um, but, you know, sometimes it isn't. But I have nothing but affection for this school and I'm grateful to it. And I just had a conversation with a trustee. He was great. And he said, Marty, we owe you a lot, this and that. I said, listen, I owe you a lot more than you owe me. Um, you've given me a wonderful opportunity. You've given me a great life for six years and I'm nothing but grateful. Connected to that is, you know, you're leaving and the school starts looking. The school is saying, thank you. We appreciate it. But it's also going, OK, who's the next person? Um, and they're looking outward. And so there are meetings that happen that I don't, that I'm not going to, which is totally appropriate and what needs to happen. And, and they've, they've included me uh, as much as, uh, as more than I expected in terms of seeking, you know, my advice and, and on the process and candidates and things like that. So I'm grateful for that. I'm happy to help the school in any way it needs. And I'm also, you know, having lots of conversations with folks uh, in Kingston. That includes Dan Roca, and that includes Rachel Bartron and uh, Kathy Hamlin for the, for the most part, and others. Uh, obviously, uh, trustees, uh, incoming board chair John Dowd, and current board chair uh, Bill Sordoni. So that's a process as well. Uh, that's a learning process for me. I, uh, you know, I like to listen uh, more than more than talk, even though it might not seem that way on this podcast. But um, I like to listen and learn. Then I have a million questions and there's decisions that need to be made for the school. And I appreciate, I'm grateful for the fact that, that Dan and Rachel and Kathy, who are the you know school leaders uh, across the divisions are including me in those conversations. And it's, uh, it's helped me a great deal and, you know, looking forward to doing more of it. And what do you see as being your vision overall for Wyoming Seminary? Uh, you you obviously have a lot of respect for what this school is, what it has been. But, you know, what do you hope to see it uh, do in your time as head of school? Mm -hmm. 
I think that uh, SEM has an amazing, uh, and I'll call it product, in terms of, of what we do with the youngest of children and also all the way up to the postgrads. I think it serves a wonderful community, and I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see us uh, continue in that work uh, and continue to be seen uh, as the preeminent uh, school of of any kind, boarding or day. Certainly in Northeast Pennsylvania, and definitely in the state of Pennsylvania. We'll go for the rest of the country, but um, I believe that uh, I think that it's already uh, in that conversation. Uh, I believe we can take it to the to the next level. It's going to take some some work. Um, you know, part of that vision is in in steps, and there are some steps that we need to take as a school and as a community. The work of Dan and, and, and Tom the year before as interim heads, that's not easy. Um, and it's also not easy for, for the community because as as well as those folks uh, lead, you know that they're there for a year and you may not feel like you're making the kind of progress you want to make. And I think part of that vision that I have for the place is bring, bringing everybody together and you know having the conversations we need to have about the direction, uh, how we're going to get there um, and the decisions that need to get made. Uh, that's the first step. And I think there's great power in that for, for community. And it matters the direction you go, but I think it almost matters as much that people got together and talked about it. And as professionals can disagree or agree about this particular aspect or that particular aspect, I think people really appreciate uh, being part of, of the conversation and having their voices heard. And that's a huge goal for me in, uh, in the first year and obviously beyond. And before we wrap up here, Marty, as you continue to show your face around Wyoming Seminary, you're going to run into everybody here. And what are some topics that away from school people could, you know, kind of talk with you about? Are there some sports teams, some movies, some genres (laughs) of music? Like what what really uh, interests you? Well, how much longer do we have? (laughs) We Um, can do a follow up. (laughs) Yeah, I I have. you know, I tell my wife when I re- when I retire, you know, uh, which is who knows when. Um, but, you know, I think I'd like to be a freelance uh, bagpiper artist uh, and fly and fly fishing guide. Uh, I think I could handle that. Um, <laughs> I had a class, uh, uh, one of my students or class of students I had years ago used to always be able to get me off topic by bringing up like bagpiping and stuff like that because I, I was really into it. I put the pipes down for a few years up here, but I think I can get back into it down the valley. I know. There's oh yeah. There's a lot of communities yeah. Yeah. where those talents could be yeah. utilized. Yeah. But uh, over, over COVID um, one of the things I got into was, uh, was art and painting. I had never been artistic in my life. I kind of got into it and I enjoy it. Um, I shared my, my Instagram with folks on campus and and some people were kind enough to, to take a look and it's nothing great, but it's a, it's a, it's a mindful practice for me. Uh, it's a, you know, half an hour, maybe uh, a day or every other day where, you know, I just sit and focus on, you know, image or, or problem solving or whatever it is. So, um, but I have lots of interest in, 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 I love music, uh, pretty much every kind of, every kind of genre. My future son-in-law, uh, gave me a book about, um, 80s punk bands uh, called this this band could be your life uh, and it's it covers a lot of music that I that I used to like and, and still do um, but I'm very comfortable in everything from folk music to rap to heavy metal I 
uh, I like it all. So lots of different interests. Uh, and, uh, and I also like to learn about what other people, other people's interests are. And, and especially, you know, when you move into a new area and Danny and I are the same, we, and we did it up here. We, we like to die. Like, you're never going to be, a, we're not going to be locals, right? We're never going to be like from the Valley, you know, and, and Maine is certainly like that. Like, unless you had seven generations uh, in this state, you know, they say that you're from away. It's <laughs> not like you're not from Maine, you're from away. And so we're from away um, and we're never going to be, uh, we're never going to be, you know, considered like Valley, you know, locals. And, but Danny and I love to, when we go to a new place to really invest in, uh, in it, uh, invest our time, check out the local things. And there are tons of them uh, in the Valley. And so we, I'm trying to remember the name of this place. We had breakfast. It was like an artsy breakfast place and kind of an old, an old mill. And gosh, if I can't remember the name of it, but uh, we found this place and I was like, okay, I hope I get this job because I want to come back here. Um, I'll think of it. And uh, I apologize to the folks that, that run that place that I'm not remembering the name of it, but it was really cool. Uh, lots of art on the wall, kind of a, kind of funky. The food was great. Coffee was great. And we enjoyed it. So you know, finding these, these, uh, different places, finding different things to do arts and music and all the things that happen in the Valley is, is very interesting to us. Uh, one of my favorite bands is playing, uh, in Wilkes-Barre on, um, March 14th is Dropkick Murphys. I was working on trying to time up my next visit according to that, but I usually don't have time. Uh, when I, when I visit campus, I, I, I tend to overbook myself, uh, just because I want to see everything and everybody. And that's all for today's episode of The Sem Scoop. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you feel really good, as do I, about the direction Wyoming Seminary is heading under Mr. Mooney, continuing the good work that's been done these past two years by interim heads of school Tom Whitworth and Dan Rocha. So thank you to Mr. Mooney and to you, the listener, for taking some time to join us on The Sem Scoop. We'll see you next time.